the needle on the record. so excited that I get to be with you guys, the Church of Malvern today, which is week number four of this series. So I just want to say right off the bat, if you happen to have missed any of the other weeks, that is okay, because I think that you'll be right here with us as we begin talking uh, this morning. But I do want to mention, we've been talking about uh, kind of how God has wired us, and he's given each of us kind of a specific temperament. And we have, uh, if, if when we leave today, if you kind of want to investigate that, if you'll go to exactly where Scott and Laura were talking about, uh, where this QR code takes you, you can also get there by just simply going to uh, thechurchinmalvern.com, and you can click on online worship guide, and that's where that takes you as well. But if you go to the very bottom of that page, there is a little uh, play, a link where you could take, uh, what do you call it, an assessment or a little survey, and it might give you an idea as to what your temperament, your kind of God-given temperament might be. And so it's on there for you. You can do that. So, um, but what I'm going to be talking about, regardless today of whatever temperament that God has given you, this should still all make sense. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm very, very glad that you're here right off the bat. I want to let you know, sometimes I, the part of it is just kind of my temperament that I have. Uh, I'm wearing a red shirt today. Um, because for me, I, my color temperament, we, we kind of divide them off into colors, red, yellow, green, and blue, and mine is red. And sometimes I find myself getting into kind of a funk. You just, I just get a little funky in, my, in the way I feel and my attitudes. And when I am in one of those little funks, um, I usually don't add anything really good or positive to the relationships that are around me in that moment. When I'm feeling that way, uh, when I'm in a funk, actually, I think you could think of it like this. I'm really actually slowly adding some poison to that relationship when I feel that way for me. And I can blame other people. I can say, oh, it's their, it's their fault. That's why I'm acting that way. Or that's why I find myself in a funk. It's them. Or I can say it's the circumstances I'm in. Yesterday, I was trying to just simply put a bolt in my motorcycle. Uh, yes, Jacob, once again. And it just wasn't working. And I was in a funk about that. I was just funky. And so I can blame it on my circumstances. I can blame it on other people. But because I have certain reactions when I feel that way, and I have certain responses when I feel that way, I am in those moments adding some poison to those relationships right around me in my life. I'm actually increasing the tension in that relationship instead of helping it out. And you know what? It is so hard to get out of a funk when I'm in a funk. It is hard for me to just kind of stop and get out of that. 
And it's almost impossible to leave that state without having added some poison to that relationship that I'm in with whomever is around me at that moment. And usually before it's all over, do you know what happens for me? I kind of, uh, I just kind of stay in this little funky cycle, you know, and I don't, I'm not just funky for a minute. I mean, I could be funky for all day long or for hours. And I just kind of loop through that funkiness. And all the time while I'm doing that, I'm adding more and more and more poison to that relationship, whoever is around me. Now, that's not just a Harley problem, and I'm red, so it's not just a red problem. Cole today is teaching in Stuttgart. He was here last week, and Cole's a yellow. It's not just a yellow problem, like for Cole. It's not just a red problem for me. It's every single temperament, every one of us, has that same tendency. We just express it differently. For instance, the difference for yellows and reds, they're both extroverts. In other words, not, it has nothing to do with people. It means that our feelings and emotions, uh, they come out rather quickly if you're a yellow or a red. We're extroverts. And if you happen to be a green or blue, you kind of keep those feelings and emotions kind of stuffed down inside. You hold them in. That's what, what we mean by introvert. But regardless of whether you're an extrovert and you let those emotions out, or you're an introvert and you keep those emotions kind of tucked inside, the result is still the same. If we are in a funk, whether we let it out or keep it in, we're still adding poison to that, those relationships that are around us. It might look like this. So I, I worked on a little diagram for us this morning. We'll see how, see how it works out, see, see if it communicates. So something happens in our lives, my life, your life. Um, maybe somebody says something to me or they do something to me or to you. And so something happens and there's the little face. Oh, something happened. I'm, I'm on alert. I know something has happened. And whatever happened kind of pushes one of my buttons. All right. It pushes a button. So let's say the button it pushes, um, they did not use these words, but for some reason, I just kind of feel this way about something they said. So if you're a red like me, it may have pushed a button that said, you're not good enough. You're a failure. You're not good enough. Or maybe if you're a yellow like Cole or, and Laura, it, it might push a button that says you're rejected. They don't like you. They don't accept you. Or if you're a green, it might push a button that says you're not valued. They're overlooking you. They're just kind of passing over you. Or if you're a blue, it might push a button that says something's wrong with you. You're broken. But whatever button they push, they say something that kind of leaves you feeling possibly that way. And when that happens, a voice is released inside your head that begins to say, you're worthless, you're no good, you're a failure, you're, over, you're, you're overlooked, they're passing you by, they're, they're taking advantage of you, you're not accepted, you're rejected. And that begins to play inside of your head when that button gets pushed. And so then there's a result of that. Yeah, there it is. Uh, this little fella happens to be yellow or red. <laughs> it's coming out. That result is that we move into one of our weaknesses. Now, you're like saying, what are these weaknesses you're talking about, Harley? Right over here by the cafe, when you leave today, 
I've got some papers that, that we used, I think, last week or the week before. I can't remember. Two weeks ago. But it lists different strengths and weaknesses of all the temperaments. And in this moment that Bryce has on the screen right now, the result of that button getting pushed, I and you have a tendency to move into one of those weaknesses. That's the result. And it may be an extroverted weakness, which means those emotions come out quickly. I wish I could tell you about my extroverted weakness experience this week. I don't have time. It's a good one, though. I was in the weakness, and it was loud. I, so if you're an extrovert, it, that reaction might be anger, and it comes out. If you're an introvert, you might stuff that down and it could come out across, could come across as coldness, being aloof, being distant. But whatever that button was pushed and for some reason, something in our life, if you're read, perhaps said, you're a failure, you're a failure. So guess what happens next when we have a reaction? All right, so I have a reaction. Some, the button got pushed. I have a reaction. Well, here's what happens next. Then they react, all right? They react. See, that, that temperament gets, did I, did I skip one, Bryce? It pushes one of their buttons. That's, that's the one I missed. I'm sorry, Bryce. So my reaction pushes one of their buttons that says to them, hey, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. Oh, so they push my button. I react. I push, I re, I re, my reaction pushes one of their buttons. And you know what happens next? Guess what happens next? They hear that voice in their head that says, hey, you're a failure, you're a failure. They react. And their reaction, guess what happens? <laughs> their reaction, whether it's extroverted and it comes out or it's introverted and they hold it in and they get distant, their reaction pushes either another one of my buttons or pushes the very same button again. And when that button gets pushed again, their reaction pushes one of mine and it gets pushed again. And you know what happens next? You probably do. You're, you're with me on this because I think you're understanding how this works. When our button gets pushed again, we hear that voice again that says, hey, Harley or, or any of us, you're worthless, you're a failure, you're rejected, you're overlooked, you're broken, you're an idiot. That button gets pushed. We react again with one of our temperament weaknesses. And you know what that does? Yep, you know what that does? It pushes one of their buttons again and they react out of one of their weaknesses because that button that just got pushed also told them in their head, hey, I'm a failure, I'm a loser, whatever, I'm an idiot, whatever that is. And you know what that does? Yep, you guessed it. It pushes one of our buttons again and it goes on and on and on and on, and no progress is being made. That's why we're in one of those cycles. We're feeling to ourselves, this is getting nowhere. We are no further down the road than we were when this started. Nothing good has come out of this. No clarity, no information. It has been a cycle of button pushing and emotions, and that reaction cycle is in full swing. And it all started possibly because I just felt funky. I just felt funky. And maybe that's where it all started. And most often, here's the reason. 
When I think about my funk and being in a funk, here's the reason for it. I'm probably not getting what I need. Now, we talked about these needs that God has given each one of us last week. I'm going to review those here in just a moment. But we all have these God-given kind of temperament, emotional-based needs that we have. We talked about them. We said this, that the yellows, if you're a yellow, you have a God-given need for approval, acceptance, attention, and affection. We said if you are a red temperament type, you have a need for loyalty, a sense of control, appreciation, credit for work or ideas. We said if you're a green, you have a need for harmony and worth, a lack of stress and respect. We said if you're a blue, then you have a need for safety and sensitivity, support, space, and silence. You know, we've been taught growing up that these needs are selfish. In other words, we've been taught, hey, yellows, you should not need approval. We said that's wrong. You shouldn't need that. We said reds, you shouldn't need appreciation. That's selfish. You shouldn't need that. We said greens, you should not need a lack of stress. Grow up. Get with it. That's what comes with life. We said blues, you shouldn't need sensitivity from others. But when we don't get those things and we need them, that makes us feel empty And it impacts us when we don't get what we need. You know why? It impacts us because we actually need those things. So if we actually need those things, then is it selfish? And last week we said, no, it's not selfish because actually God designed those needs inside of your lives and my life. And he designed us in a way for those needs to actually be met by looking out for each other. So here's where we move to Paul, who became a Jesus follower late in his life. He was already an adult. He was a Jesus hater. He became a Jesus follower for one reason. He became a Jesus follower because he came face to face with Jesus after he had died and he after he had walked out of the tomb, Paul saw him alive. It's hard to, um, it's hard to debate that, right? He was like, okay, <laughs> all right, you got me. You really are. It's the real deal. He became a Jesus follower. And here's a letter that he wrote to some believers, some Christ followers who were in the town of Ephesus. And he meant for this to be passed to all the churches that were meeting in the first century. And guess what? That has circulated from church to church, generation to generation. And we have a copy of that today. We find it in the book of Ephesians. I'm going to give you a little snippet. It's the letter written to the Ephesians, a little snippet of that. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29. Paul says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We've used this verse every single week of this series to help us understand what we're trying to do. Paul says we need to be thinking about what we say and it needs to be addressed according to their needs. So God designed us to meet the the needs that he gave other people. He designed us to try to meet those needs for them. Pretty interesting. Paul is saying we've got some 
God designed needs here and a God designed way in how to meet those needs. And it's like he's saying to the churches, all right, now go out and go start meeting those needs for the people around you. Go meet those needs, all the people out there, because he's planted those inside of our lives. And we kind of had looked at it through temperaments. That's how we've looked at it in these series. But when they are not met, there's an emptiness and then they're inside of each of us. There's some real trouble brewing. All right. We wanted to highlight that point right there. You got the say so real trouble brewing. Woo, there we go. And so there's some real trouble brewing when those needs are not met inside of us. So if you're introverted, maybe uh, a blue or a green, that trouble that's brewing is deep inside of you. And it's in there and it kind of steeps like tea. It kind of simmers like a slow burn, but it grows. If you're an extrovert, like a red or a yellow, then that trouble that's inside of you brews maybe very quickly. And it kind of percolates, you know, it starts to come out. <laughs> it perks and then it might explode or it might gush. But for both introverts and extroverts, that trouble always leads to us kind of adding some kind of poison to the people around us. So how do we respond? How do we respond? What we typically do, we respond by manipulating other people. We use words and our behaviors to manipulate other people, trying to force them to meet those needs that we have. And we may not even recognize it as a need, but we know something's wrong and our response in some way is trying to force them to meet the need that we may not even be able to describe. And how do we manipulate them? How do we try to force them to do that? We do that by moving into one of those weaknesses. We don't have to look at the list and say, let's see, I'm going to choose a weakness. <laughs> Here's my list. I'm going to use this one. No, it just happens. We do it. That's why, it's, that's why we have that list so you can recognize different things. We just do it. Those are the things we do to try to force people around us to meet that need that we're feeling inside. Okay. So somebody makes you feel worthless. Well, we'll do something or we'll say something, and it's an effort to try to prove to them that they're wrong. You are wrong. I'm not worthless. And they didn't use those words saying you're worthless, but we felt that way because of whatever button they pushed in our life. And so we jump into a weakness and say, ah, you're wrong. And, and whatever we're saying or whatever we're doing, we're not using those words, but that's what we mean. We're not worthless. You are wrong. I'm not worthless. And the more extroverted we are in that weakness, we might scream not literally, but we could. <laughs> but our actions, our behaviors, our words are screaming. Meet that need. I need you to meet that need. And if we're more introverted, then our weakness is quietly screaming, meet that need. I need you to meet that need. But here's what happens. When we're in that weakness... 
And that's how we're behaving. Those are the words we're using. We're begging them, screaming at them to meet that need. But the very fact that we're in a weakness is pushing them further away where they can never meet those needs. That's part of that cycle. Here's a hard truth. When we move into a weakness of our temperament, we are moving into a weakness. We are the ones choosing to respond. We're the ones choosing to use that response as a tool to try to get something accomplished. And so our God-designed strengths, we warp them and distort them, and we use them now as a weakness. Nobody makes me do that. Nobody forces me to do that. Nobody hijacks my free will and commands me to do that. We choose those responses on our own. And every time we move into one of our weaknesses, a giant red flag should go up. A giant flag should wave. It's a warning that should say, Harley, Scott or Laura, Har Harley, you have, you have left your God-given strengths and you've moved into weakness. And you are now poisoning these relationships. It should be a red flag that says, Harley, your tank is empty. You have some kind of need in there, inside of you, that is not being met and your tank is empty. It should be a red flag that says, you are in danger, Harley, of moving into one of your temperament weaknesses. Here's what some of these weaknesses kind of are like. For yellows, your weaknesses are kind of loud weaknesses. The result might be you might elaborate more. You might exaggerate the truth more. You might speak too loudly, interrupt other people. For reds, those are powerful weaknesses, which means you're going to argue. You're going to dominate a conversation. You're going to be harsh in your tone with others. Anyone who knows me is like, oh, Harley, you just nailed yourself. If you're green, you have peaceful weaknesses. They come across as peaceful. Might be a little, what do you call it? Can't think of the word at the moment, but they come across as peaceful, but it, it, it really begins to be this kind of slow stubbornness and you disengage from other people. If you're blue, your weaknesses are deep weaknesses, like a deep thinker, deep weaknesses. And you have a tendency to remember negatives and to have a low self-esteem and to begin to get really critical of other people around you. And when we are in our weaknesses, we are not reflecting God's masterpiece design that he's created. So today, that's my springboard into the verse we're using today. And today, we're actually going to finish um, we're going to finish a verse that we began using in week number two. We just didn't give you the whole verse, and today we're going to finish it and give you the whole verse. And here's Paul writing again to the church in Ephesus, knowing it's going to get circulated, wanting it to be circulated to the, all the churches, and here we have it today, Ephesians 2, verse 10. 
Paul says, for we are God's masterpiece. On week two, we said that we are his creation. God has created us and he's designed inside of each one of us some strengths. And I love this because our strengths that we have in our temperament that he's given us, it gives us a little peek at what the perfection of creation was. Because then it was all perfect and everything was, and everyone was in their strengths and strengths alone. There were no weaknesses, but we broke those. Oh, don't we know it? We have broken those strengths because we're broken by sin. And when that happened, we moved from strength and we distorted them and they, become, they became more weaknesses. And you know what? God has been at work ever since that first time creation broke with Adam and Eve. He's been at work since then to uh, renew, to recreate, to remaster his masterpiece. So it says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. And you know how he did that? He created us new through the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. God himself, as Jesus, came here to die for us, to die for the sins of the world. And when he died and he rose again, he now was able to take all of that wrongness, that sin upon himself, and he was able to now begin to create us new, all through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And he does that through his spirit. He does it now through God's spirit. And we're told in the new covenant that for every single person who chooses to become a follower of Jesus, that God places his spirit inside their life. And that's where that newness begins to happen through God's spirit as he leads us and guides us and changes us from the inside out. And that new begins to become visible. You see, it's not just a change of destination. We do realize in following Jesus, he changes our eternal destination, but that's not just it. That's not the whole picture. It's not just a change of destination. This is not just a heaven thing. That inside change that he's making in your life is visible. It becomes visible on the outside of your life. And you know how we see it? It's characterized by good things. It's characterized by good choices, by good works, you know, some of the things we do. It's characterized by good responses. And here's how that verse continues. So, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus. So, here's why, we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Good things, like those good responses, good things. And it's not good things so that we can earn salvation. It doesn't work that way. We could never get it if it was. These are good things that are the result of salvation. So I want to take this phrase. The phrase is this, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This is the part of the verse we didn't use in week two. And I want to break this verse down very quickly so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. So what are these good things? 
Here we go. The new life of a true follower of Jesus is never visible by using a label. The label of, oh, I'm now a Christian. So in other words, people don't see that I'm a Christian because I tell them I'm a Christian. That's a label. They see that I'm a Christian because I'm actually following Jesus. That's a description. It's not a label. This new life we're talking about is not a label. Do you know what? I was thinking about this on my drive over. It was such a long drive from, from my house to here. I didn't have long to think about it. But I was thinking about it on the way over about this very comment, and here's what I was thinking. There's been a lot of terrible things done under the label of Christian. Terrible things. Wars have been fought under the label Christian. And they were not Christian wars. People have been killed un because of the label Christian. I'm not talking about the Christians who were killed. I'm talking about Christians killing uh, Christians, killing other people. That label, killing other people because they didn't live up to the expectations of what they thought they should. They burned them at the stake. Wow. There's been a lot of bad things done under the label of Christian. So this newness I'm talking about is not something we put on a label. It's something that describes us because we begin following Jesus. It's always visible because of our responses, our reactions, they all slowly begin to change. Now, I, I want to put a little parenthetical thought here for us. So Harley, are, are you saying that that means you're 100% different and you're changed and you no longer have or should have any of those bad reactions or bad responses, or you shouldn't be living in those weaknesses, or you're proving that you're not really following Jesus? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. Because this side of heaven, it is a constant battle against the old Harley. And the old Harley wins far too often. But what is happening is God's spirit is at work in my life. Listen, if you don't like me now, whoa, you would have hated me then. God is at work changing me. I am not the same person that I was but God is not finished transforming me because I continue to mess up every day. That new life of a true follower of Jesus is never visible because we're using a label, but it's always visible because of our responses, reactions as they begin to change. And it happens over the rest of my life because he is developing me. And if you're following Jesus, he is developing you into that new creation and other people around you. If they look long enough, they begin to see that happening in your life in my life. So here's the next part of that phrase. So it's the good things that he planned for us. So planned for us long ago, planned for us long ago. The truth is God is not satisfied with 
my broken down version of his perfect creation. He's not satisfied with my broken down version because God actually tells us, if you look in the scriptures, he actually tells us to be holy because God is holy. That's what he requires. That's what he asks. He says, you be holy because I'm holy. And God actually demands that, but we can't do it. So here's the next part of this. I want you to understand. That's why he died to make it possible because I can't do it, but he died to make it possible. God actually died. He came here and died as Jesus so that God could adopt you and me into his family. And now here's what that is kind of like. I love this concept of adoption. My niece is getting ready to adopt a couple of babies, uh, uh, three, three children, actually. They fostered the children and they're getting ready to adopt. I'm so excited about this process. And here's what happens when God adopted me into his family. And when he adopted you into his family, he says, listen, you're in. And it's not because I deserved it. It's not because I earned it. It's because he looked at me and said, I want you in my family. He let me in. And when he brings you into his family, it's like he gives you a new name. It's like he gives you a new identity. I love that. But here's where that gets tough for me. Because now that I have a new identity, now that I have a new name, I have a new dad, I have a new father. He says, okay, Harley. Now, I do expect you to try to live up to the name. I expect you to, Harley. I brought you into my family. Now, I I want you to behave. And, And here's what that kind of means. Behave in a manner. This is kind of how the new covenant words it. Behave in a manner that's befitting God's family. And you know why? Because he planned this long ago. He planned it long ago that he was going to bring me into his family, that he wants to bring you or already has brought you into his family. He planned it long ago. And God originally designed you and he designed me to live up to those strengths that he placed in our lives. And then he began the process of remastering me through his spirit because he died on the cross for me, remastering me so that I can choose with the help of his spirit to to more and more begin to live up to the family name. And I'm letting you know, I fail. We tell you, Stuttgart Harvest Church and the church in Malvern here, we, we, we do not pretend that we have it all together. I fail all the time living up to that family name. This is the perfect place for imperfect people, but I want you to know this. God's not satisfied leaving me where I was. And he's really not even satisfied leaving me where I am. And so for the rest of my life, this side of heaven, he's going to be working on my life from the inside out. It's an inside job. And he is all over it, and I'm so glad. 
He originally designed us to live in those strengths and he remastered us so we could. But we've got to add this one more important step that we kind of glossed over because it can't happen without it. And I've already hinted to it. Here it is, that one word, he. Things that he planned long ago. He, we can't do this without him. There's only one way that we even have an option to move from our weakness uh, uh, to our strength. There's only one way we can do it. The empowering of God's spirit. Only God himself can help me move out of a weakness back into his strength that he designed for me. And we're told this, that every single person who submits their life to Jesus as they begin to follow him, God places his spirit inside their soul. Now, I just want to give you a side note. For those of you who are blue, you might really like this. I encourage you with this little homework assignment to go and look at those lists of strengths for each of the temperaments and look and see how many places you find that those strengths are some form of what we call the fruit of the Spirit. There's a whole lot of them in there. That would be a fun homework assignment. Just go and look that up. You'll, you, you'll find, I've got those lists back there for you if you want to, want to do that. Wow. So when we're living in our strengths as designed by God, we are, because of his spirit, reflecting more and more of those fruits of God's spirit. And it's happening through the very temperament that he gave us. But when I leave my strength and I move into that weakness, that should be a red flag. And that red flag, that should be my cue to tell me, Harley, you better start thinking differently. You better start acting differently. That should be a cue for myself that I have left God's strength and I'm going to need some help. It should be a red flag that, that says, Harley, I need to recognize that my needs tank might be empty. It needs to be a red flag. That also says, Harley, you need to do something different. Do something different to move from that weakness back into God's strength that he's designed for you. But that's not all. There's one other red flag that this should do for us. It should be a red flag that when we see someone around us move into a weakness, and they start pushing some of our buttons, it should be a cue and a clue for us to look at their life and say, wait a minute, they might have a need that's not being met. They might have a need. Their needs tank might be empty. So maybe I need, instead of reacting to my button being pushed, I might need to think, what do I need to do to try to meet some kind of need that they might have in their life? And we have a transition available to us. We do not have to repeat this cycle. Someone has to stop it. 
there's a transition available to us to go from the old me in my weakness and move back into a strength. And here's that transition because he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. And that first step, when we see us slipping back into the old self, the old Harley, that first step should be saying, I've got to move from this weakness back toward that God-designed strength, the new Harley. And there's a requirement for that to happen. I have to lean on, depend upon, and call out to God's spirit to help me. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And so here's our next step this week. Here it is. Our next step is this. The first thing we're going to encourage you to do is to stop. We want you to stop. When that red flag goes up, see that as a warning sign and, and just stop. As you're moving into that weakness, just stop and say, I, I need to stop. It's a red flag. I need to pause. Instead of just continuing that cycle, I need to pause and stop. I need to take a breath. Somebody has to stop it. We have to stop it. We just need to pause. So stop. The next one is this. We need to drop. You know what the third one's going to be, right? You're going to have to roll. I'll tell you about that in a moment. Stop, drop, and roll. But we need to stop, and then we got to drop. And we're going to call that just in humility to humble ourselves and say, I don't need to take the reins and try to force someone to meet my needs. I need to stop and I've got to drop in humility instead of selfishness and force someone to do something I need them to. I need to stop in humility and say, I am moving into my warped strength, which is a weakness, distorted into a weakness. And God, I need your help. So we have to stop and pause. And then we drop in humility and say, God, I need your help. I'm moving into this weakness. I need your help. And then here's the role. We need to then move into a strength with God's help. Leave that weakness. Recognize it for what it is. That Harley, that's my weakness. I'm just trying to force someone to meet my needs. I'm just trying because my tank is empty. That's my weakness. And then we need to roll into a strength with God's help. Move into a strength and try to meet their need. You see, long ago, God planned for you to do this. Long ago. So maybe we need to do some planning in order to do it. Maybe we need to think in advance. Here are a few of my go-to weaknesses. When my buttons get pushed, here are a few of my go-to weaknesses. And write those down. Here they are. This, this, and this. And if you know that's a weakness, then maybe pre-plan an advanced plan to say, when I go to this weakness, I'm going to ask God to help me to move to this strength instead. So we need to plan for something different. We need to rely on the strength 
the guidance, the help of God's spirit. And instead of doing this weakness, we need to say, God, I need your help to do this strength. And I encourage you to make a literal, real list. Make a real list. Write it down. Have a real plan. Say, God, I'm going to ask this. I'm going to need your help. But plan in advance so that when that time comes, you already know what you're going to ask for. I have enjoyed this series. It's been good for me. This whole topic has been important to me. And I hope it's been important to you. But instead of labeling your life and my life as here are all my weaknesses, can you imagine if in your relationship, some months after we begin trying to do this consistently, perhaps we'll get some new labels. And instead of being labeled by our weaknesses, maybe we can begin slowly over the course of some months or over the course of this year, begin to be labeled by and known by some of our God-given strengths. A couple weeks ago, we called these strengths, you know what we called them? We called them kind of like they were some Holy Spirit superpowers that God has given you. And maybe we can begin to live with those Holy Spirit, God-given superpowers that he's given your temperament as strengths. And you can begin to use those more and more and more in your relationships. And I want you to know this, we need those very things that we're talking about inside this church as well. And when I say church, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about us as people. We are the church. This is just a room, a building. There's nothing holy about it. When God moves into your life, you're the one that becomes the holy sanctuary. That's you. And we need that here among us as we're interacting together and inside this church with each other and the people we're trying to love who are not in this room with us. We need those strengths. It's what you have that God has given you, those Holy Spirit superpowers that he wants you to use inside of this body called the church. Because we are all needed you are needed. I'm needed. We are needed. We need you and we need that superpower that God has given you. So before I pray, one last time for this series, I simply want to read this verse that we've read every week of this series. And then I'm going to pray. Here's the verse. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it might benefit those who listen. Now, before we sing to this amazing God, let's pray to him together one more time as we close this teaching. God, you have challenged us through Paul to not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths. 
And God, that is so difficult. And I fail so many times. But God, you said that we need to pause and we need to think. We need to stop. And we need to let something helpful come out of our mouths. And in fact, it's not just helpful, but it needs to be helpful according to whatever that person's need that we can perceive is. So God, I pray that you would help me do that more. And I pray that you would help my friends do that more. And God, we know it's going to take your help to do it. And we ask for that in the name of Jesus, our Savior. We pray these things.